Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel podcast, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and also to help them to succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, I'm actually going to be more or less interviewing my co-host Matt Picardle about his recent attendance at the NCSEA Summit. This is a structural engineering summit. It really brings together the best of structural engineering professionals in the field for education, networking. That's the good thing about conferences, and we get into that a little bit. The summit also honored the best of structural engineering with the Excellence in Structural Engineering Awards, which recognized ingenuity throughout the world, and the NCSEA Special Awards highlighting members who have provided outstanding service and commitment to the organization. And again, you learn about the field and you attend these conferences. And Matt had some pretty interesting topics kind of to jump in on and we talked about, which included a little bit more on SE3, which we'll tell you about, and also this topic of drafters or the role of drafters in engineering. There was apparently a session that Matt attended. This was a hot topic and a lot of back and forth. So we're going to dive into that as well. We're going to talk about what's really of interest right now to structural engineers when they look for firms to work for. So a lot of interesting things in this kind of summary episode. Matt really just went through his notes from the conference, and we really appreciate that he did that. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as an engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success, and I've traveled the world helping engineers build their core or soft skills. And my host, of course, is Matt Picardle. Matt is also a licensed engineer practicing structural engineering in California with an undergraduate degree from Cal Poly Pomona and an MS in structural engineering from UC San Diego. He also hosts the YouTube channel Structural Engineering Life, through which he focuses on promoting the structural engineering profession to engineering students and young professionals that are not familiar with industry perspective. And through this podcast, of course, Matt and I really do try to bring you information that can help you succeed in your structural engineering career. Now, before we get started, this is a free show and our sponsors help us keep it free. So I ask that you please support them. And now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, CSI. Computers and Structures Inc. is recognized globally as the pioneering leader in software tools for structural and earthquake engineering. Software from CSI is used by thousands of engineering firms in over 160 countries for the design of major projects. CSI software is backed by more than four decades of research and development, making it the trusted choice of sophisticated design professionals everywhere. Listen up later on in the show where I will tell you more about their great software packages and how they can help you. And of course, CSI was also a sponsor and very present at the NCSEA summit that we're about to summarize. We also want to give a shout out to the Structural Engineering Institute, SEI of ASCE. SEI is a dynamic community of more than 30,000 members from around the world advancing and serving structural engineering while influencing change on broader issues that shape the entire civil engineering community. SEI is a friend of the podcast. They often refer guests to us, and we will be at the Congress again, the SEI Congress, the Structures Congress in April. So we're excited for that. Let's jump into the episode for today and kind of get Matt's take and his main points that he took away from the NCSEA Summit.
Now, for this week's structural engineering conversation, instead of a guest, Matt and I are going to talk a little bit about the recent National Council of Structural Engineers Association's national conference, which Matt attended. First of all, Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are yourself, Anthony? Doing well. You know, we had the uh, Thanksgiving break and now everyone's kind of trying to run 100 miles an hour back into work and get caught up on everything. We're going to take an opportunity today, of course, Matt, to just pick your brain a little bit about the conference that you attended, the NCSEA conference. I know a lot of structural engineers, maybe I'm sure would have liked to attend it, but couldn't or are thinking about attending this conference in the future. So why don't we just start off by just talking a little bit about the conference in general? Can you just tell people a little bit about it, where it was, how many days, et cetera? For the NCSEA Summit this year, it was held in the Disneyland Hotel in Anaheim, California. And it's pretty much a structural engineering conference where uh, a lot of the presenters come together and and pretty much just share their knowledge. I think it was uh, from Tuesday to Friday, and uh, our company sponsored it, so sponsored me and uh, a couple other coworkers to go. So it was really cool to see um, not just my company, but you know, everyone else's companies too, like uh, seeing how, I guess, the bigger picture of structural engineering and them coming together at one place and sharing their experiences and and knowledge that they're going through. Um, I think that was one of the really cool things about it. That's awesome. And for those of you not familiar with the National Council of Structural Engineers Associations, it's a professional association here in the United States with member organizations in roughly 40 states. It was established back in 1993, and they represent a good number of individual engineers who are members of the local state association. So similar to different types of associations out there. So Matt, when you attend a conference like this, a trade conference in your industry, there are many benefits to doing this. One of them, of course, is the opportunity to meet, network, and build relationships with other colleagues in the industry, other experts. The other, of course, benefit of attending a conference is the ability to gain knowledge, learn about some of the trends in the industry. So what are some of the sessions that you attended while you were at this conference? And then we can kind of dive into some of the takeaways. Sure. There was actually on Tuesday that I went, there was actually an SE3 national symposium. So basically half a day of sessions. And SE3 is, we did an episode on it, uh, podcast number 11, I believe. I know we interviewed Danny and Nick from SE3, which is the Structural Engineering Equity and Engagement. I did a whole session on that, and they deal a lot with things that we're going through with the industry, such as uh, retention, recruitment, uh, gender and minority bias, and you know burnout. So things like that, pretty much any firm that's going through right now. And I also did sessions on how to implement those and the future and present role of drafters. That's a hot topic right now, especially with technology nowadays. I know back in the day, it used to be a clear split between engineers and drafters. But now with BIM and and our 3D models and structural analysis software, the lines are becoming a lot more blurry. So that one was a, a really cool topic just to see what other firms are doing and how other firms are dealing with that issue. I also did some technical sessions too, such as uh, seismic design of wood cantilever diaphragms. I know that's pretty specific, but it's something that I personally deal with a lot. And 
those are the types of sessions that I've attended and uh, definitely learned a lot from those types of sessions. Again, just a really good benefit of going to conferences. And if you're thinking about planning and what conferences you should attend, think about conferences where you can meet people, you can learn about some of these topics like Matt suggesting with the drafters being kind of a trending topic in the industry. The more you learn about that, the more value you can bring to the table for your firm, for your clients, and so on. And so I think that sometimes the immediate response is conferences might be expensive, they take time out of the office, and all those things may be true. However, a lot of companies do support and sponsor their engineers in attending conferences. And I can tell you right now from my own career experience, even if they don't support you, your company, and they won't necessarily reimburse you for it, but they will maybe let you attend or take a day out of the office. It's totally worth it from a career perspective because your network really is everything to you. And, and conferences for me is how I really built my network. In fact, that's how Matt and I were able to meet in person and talk about starting this podcast, which I think we talked about all the way back on episode number one. So lots of benefits there in terms of interaction with people. That being said, Matt, it sounds like you attended some interesting sessions. What would you say were some of the most interesting or kind of valuable takeaways that you took from attending these different sessions or your time at the conference? I think one of the biggest takeaways and or the sessions that were most interesting were the ones related to um, recruitment and retention and some of the business practices that firms do to actually implement this topic or this issue that we're having in the industry of recruiting talent and retaining talent. I know there's a lot of turnover in all over the firms and, you know, the structural engineering industry as a whole is trying to retain the t- and attract the best talent from other majors such as banking industries or software engineering or basically from all those other companies and showing them why they should choose structural engineering. That was sessions that I've attended. I attended a couple of them. But I think the main one was the SE3 sessions that I've attended. What they pretty much talked about was what even brought it to my attention was, hey, recruiting and retention is the number one issue for a lot of structural engineering firms, basically in the nation. I mean, everyone's asking, how do we recruit and how do we retain talent and structural engineers? Those were the type of sessions that I've attended and also implementation and the future and present role of drafters and engineers, I think those two topics uh, were probably the most interesting ones that I had a lot of takeaways from and insights on. The SE3 stuff is really interesting. Like Matt said, we did an entire episode on episode 11. You can check that out and really dive into it. I mean, what they're doing in terms of taking a look at the industry at the whole and understanding the trends and patterns and where we need to get better and where we're doing well. Those are really interesting things. And in terms of the implementation that you referenced there, talk a little bit more about that. Was that a session or what did you take from that? I attended like three sessions and I think my takeaways were just taking little bits and pieces of all these sessions that I've attended on it and kind of going through what the issues were and how to implement it. Well, in terms of kind of the insights, then I'll go into the implementation. I think some of the the things that firms should be looking at are basically let's go through like a quick summary of what kind of the issues were. So I know for retention and recruitment, mentorship, burnout and flexibility and career pathways and performance feedback. Those are some of the main issues or I guess points that a lot of firms can should be aware of. 
and should be looking to improve or self-assess their companies on how they're doing it. So just for example, in mentorship, they collected a survey. If you have a mentor or someone that you consider your mentor at a company, you're a lot more likely to stay. It was based on actual research and survey data. So what was interesting about those SE3 uh, sessions were they were backing it up with data. They took, I think, a survey of 2,000 plus structural engineers across uh, the U.S. And they asked them a lot of questions. So it was really cool to see, hey, it's not just we think this is important. Hey, this is important based on actual structural engineers. So mentorship was a big one. Yeah, for sure. I just want to just say here from our experience at the Engineering Management Institute and doing a lot of coaching and training with engineering companies, these topics are becoming what basically we talk about with all companies in terms of their challenges and their and what their employees are requesting of them, which is mentorship, which is work-life flexibility, which is career pathways. Like, Do companies have career pathways set up for their team or their staff so that a young engineer maybe comes into their company, do they know what path they're going to be following and what they need to do to take each step? And then, of course, this idea of performance feedback. I know one of the other things that you mentioned kind of in your notes there, Matt, was advocating for yourself. Talk about that a little bit. Advocating for yourself, I know it does take, I think at first, it's, I mean, they mentioned that, hey, it starts with you as an, an employee first. If you're trying to you know, improve your career, don't just rely on your company. First, take the initiative, knowing what your goals are if you're an employee, what your goals are in the company, and finding a manager or principal to support you in those goals. You can help your firm do this because it's a lot like advocating for yourself. Like an example is instead of just complaining to your company, like, I want to get a mentor in this company, it's a lot different if you go about it the other way of, I want a mentor versus, hey, I want a mentor. I'm going to start a mentorship program. Here's what I'm proposing. Do you think the company can benefit from it? Like one way is kind of like complaining and the other way is showing that, hey, here's a problem. Here's my solution. And here's how I propose I'm going to solve it. It kind of says a lot about you if you're, you know, you are the solution instead of just complaining. And I think that's what a lot of firms look for in leadership if you advocate for yourself instead of just complaining as an employee. Yeah, for sure. And I think something that you said there that I think is really important in terms of kind of advocating for yourself or just thinking about your own development is I think knowing your goals is very important. But if you can find a manager or principal to support you in those goals, that's really a game changer because it's one thing to have goals on your own and try to follow them and do your best with them. But it's another thing to have someone in your company teaming up with you as a partner to help you in that process. So I think that's really important. I also saw there in your notes, Matt, 30-hour work week. What's that all about? It was interesting because they had panels of, of people, basically a lot of senior engineers and what they were going through, you know, burnout, work-life flexibility, career pathways. And it was interesting just to see someone actually was talk with their firm and like discuss these issues with their firm, you know, and she had a family and a couple children and she pretty much went to the head of her firm and like just said, hey, this is what my work-life flexibility is, and here's what I need to limit my hours to. The firm understood that, and they let her do 30 hours of, of work a week. Obviously, she had a good relationship with her firm. To That trust was there. She's been there for a long time. But she was able to get a 30-hour work week, 
and to care for her family and, you know, work from home at times, especially with uh, people with families. I think that flexibility was definitely one of the most important things. What I've seen is if you have a family, it sometimes boils down to, hey, I'm either going to choose my family or work because work requires me to work 50 to 60 hours a week. I think if you bring that up and, you know, as an industry, if we bring it up, hey, there's, this is one of the reasons why people are leaving because they're being forced to choose. But if a company can kind of work around that, see that, obviously a 30 hour work week is not for every firm, but just seeing how, what you can do if you try to talk to the firms and uh, work something out in terms of flexibility, that's something firms can look into it and see how they can accommodate that, maybe working from home or whatnot. Yeah, it's always an interesting thing because personally, in my opinion, I think some people can get actually more done in less time if they're more focused and more into it and interested in it. So I don't necessarily think that the number of hours that you work equates to your productivity. So I think there's certainly something to be said for that. And they're also focused or looking into in the SE3, the gender and minority bias as well, correct? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the most of us are aware of, you know, there is like a big gap between the amount of men versus women and minorities in the industry. From way back in the day, I think uh, obviously the majority is still white men versus women and Asian or black or other minorities. The industry's done a great job. I think a lot of us are still aware of that. And there's, you know, different, a lot of initiatives to kind of bring that up to light and get more of these people into the industry, which is great. But it was one session that stood out to me was kind of just showing that there is some unconscious bias, especially if we're hiring somebody, we tend to hire people that are, are like us, whether they're unconsciously. Some of the practices that they could do are what they said were going through when you're recruiting somebody block out their name or their what school they went to, what what race they are, how they look, and pretty much just basing it strictly off what the resume and the skills that they have. So things like that, they could implement in their company just to negate that unconscious bias that we tend to do. That was an interesting session on that one. You had some thoughts around implementation, training technology and talent or internal business development. Talk about those a little bit. Maybe walk us through some of those. Yeah, that one was uh, actually a session. It was basically one company. A company was an architectural and engineering firm. I think they also had MEP. They had like about 120 plus employees. And, you know, they're facing these issues. And they one of their principals basically did this session on how they're implementing these types of programs to kind of improve these, you know, retention, mentorship, and that address a lot of basically what their best practices were to implement these. And that was really cool. What they tried to do was how do they find new leadership within their firm? And what was interesting to me is a question that, you know, a lot of firms try to solve. And what they did is they implemented different types of programs that people could volunteer for instead of just forcing them on, right? What they did was they had like a younger members group for their firm. So if you're interested in your in becoming a, a younger member, I mean, you're interested, you're invested, you figure out what types of topics you want to find out about. And you're basically holding sessions to like lunch and learns 
to figure out what's best for the younger engineers and you're bringing it out to the whole firm. So this not only shows that, hey, you want, you're invested in the firm and you want to get into a leadership position. So this is one of the ways that they did. So they had like a younger members group, like an emerging leaders group and an associate group for those were kind of like their three tiers. Those are all volunteers. So it was their way of kind of just weeding out, hey, who's really interested in leadership, who's really invested in the firm. Because one of the interesting stats what, that I've seen from, you know, in the survey was 50% of engineers want to become principals or aspire to become principals. But what do the other 50% want? If they're not there to advance, well, what are they doing? And, and that's perfectly fine. Not everyone should or want to become principals, but as a firm, I think you should know who's on that leadership track and who's on the other track. That's a whole other question on what do you do with those other 50%. But I think the first step is kind of just weeding those two out. Who wants to be leadership and who doesn't? So that was like a really cool thing I've seen them do. No, that's a good point. And this is a good topic and a really important topic because number one, if you're a younger engineer out there and you want to show your company that you are one of those engineers that want to become a principal, want to become a leader in the firm, these are opportunities for you to look for these emerging professional type groups. If you maybe your company's just about at the stage when to create one of these groups and you could volunteer to create the group and then you're really leading the charge there. So that's definitely something to think about because that is a way to differentiate you because that is a struggle with companies like this succession planning and figuring out who are going to be the future leaders. And they really need to think about that. In terms of this idea of, you know, 50% of engineers want to be principals. What do the other 50% want? We actually did a podcast recently on our engineering career coach podcast, just talking a little bit about the life cycle, typical life cycle of an engineer in terms of their career. And a lot of times what you'll hear is you get out of school, you do a lot of technical work, whatever your technical expertise is, reports, calculations, and then gradually you get to the point where they make you a project manager. Maybe you start with one project or a couple of small projects. If that goes well, then you may take on not only more projects, but then you start to manage people. Maybe you get into engineering management or department management, and then eventually you can go to like an ownership level or a partner level. Or, you know, if you're in the government, maybe it's a a different level of executive director or something like that. To Matt's point, what do you do if that's not your interest? Do you just say, I'm comfortable staying in the technical role and I'm just going to stay here for my entire career? And maybe that is what happens. But again, this gets back to what we talked about earlier in terms of career pathways. Companies should have tracks for different types of individuals, a leadership track, maybe a technical track. And then the important thing is identifying who belongs in each track, which is a combination of you as the leadership of the firm and what those individuals want, what their goals are. So this is a lot of, I think, good things and important things to think about for sure. And if I'm a younger engineer and I want to be a leader, I'm thinking of trying to really lead one of these initiatives. That would be my recommendation. Yeah, that's a great recommendation. Kind of knowing what the firm's going through and then bringing up a solution, something like this, kind of showing the leadership that, hey, I'm here to help and um, I'll help the firm out. The other one that I want to touch on before we kind of wrap up here is the present and future role of drafters and engineers. You mentioned that early on that you attended that and that there was a lot of talk around that. Talk us through that a little bit more here. 
for those of you that are in the industry, most of us have uh, split roles. There's the engineers that do a lot of the calcs and analysis, and then there's the drafters. So there used to be a big split line between those two. But now, especially with uh, all the 3D modeling with uh, BIM, and now a lot of things are in 3D and are working with different cross-disciplines. The 3D model has kind of become the new standard. It's been causing a lot of challenges in the industry. So there's one story where I think an older principal making changes to the model or drawing, and typically there's a line like, engineers don't touch the 3D model, but a principal went in, you know, when he was just like, oh, I need to change something. He went in, he went to the 3D model that he's, he's usually not supposed to touch, and he just changed something. He clicked a couple things and a lot of stuff got deleted. The whole model got messed up. It was a disaster. And then that's when the drafters come in and just be like, what are you doing? You shouldn't be touching the model because you're screwing everything up. So <laughs> that's the reason why there's that line there. But more and more now, a lot of engineers and drafters are getting into that model because the engineers need to know what's going on and the drafters also need to know what's going on also. So there's challenge on where do we draw the line or is there even a line to be drawn between who touches the model? What were your feelings and discussions there? Is it Does it sound like the role of the drafter is diminishing and could be eliminated at some point or does it sound like there's still be a need for drafters going forward? I think there always needs to be someone that knows the 3D or the BIM model. It's going to be mixed. You're going to have engineers that know both, I think, in the future. And the drafters can be more of the specialists. But there is a lot of roles for the drafters. I think that was one of the interesting things. Hey, the drafters don't just have to be uh, drafters. There's a lot of things that maybe future roles for the drafters, such as maybe tech research or doing the structural analysis model instead of us engineers doing the structural analysis model. I mean, they're good at modeling. They can do our structural analysis models too, instead of us doing it. So not just us playing with their BIM models, but the drafters playing with our structural analysis models, like in ETABs or whatnot, and the other structural programs. So I think in the future, there is going to be more of a merged role. I think we're going to have engineers that are both and drafters that Mixing in both, but their specialty is is BIM and drafting, especially with technology. With drafters, I think the roles, in my opinion, is that they're going to be really heavily relied upon to keep up with what's happening in the industry. What I learned from this session was it was a discussion. There wasn't like a solution or anything, but it was really interesting to see. Like we had, I don't know, a hundred people in that audience and Everyone was going through the same problem. <laughs> it was like, and they're doing it slightly different ways. Everyone's doing, some of them still have that hard line split between drafters and engineering, but some of them, a lot of them were merging the two. And it was interesting to see that what other firms are trying to do and that there really is no good solution right now, but it is something definitely to discuss in the future and just to see what other firms are doing and how it's, it's working for them. It really shows that, you know, we're all going through the same thing. We're all one community. And we can just help each other grow by kind of going to these types of presentations. Yeah, for sure. And I think that number one, that's just a great thing about conferences, right? You get together with people, you identify trends and issues and try to tackle them together. The second thing is that's just a data point. Like when you have that many people talking about the same issue, then that's a real issue. And that's when you need to kind of kick in and try to come up with solutions and talk about it and work through it. 
that's the great thing about getting a lot of people in the same industry, in the same room, so to speak. That's when you can flush out some of those things and identify some of those things. So that's great. I know also, Matt, they had a, an SE exam panel. Was that just like an informational panel? or I'm studying for the, my structural engineering exam in April. So you know, I'm buckling down and just trying to study for that in the next couple of months. It was basically a panel of people that took the exam and how to prepare for it. So if anyone was taking that, that was a, a good prep. My main key takeaways from that was the average study time is, I believe, 300 hours. So it was kind of just like kicking my butt into like, hey, this really needs to study for it. And yeah, they're just giving some fun facts. I don't know about fun, but it's like 30% pass rate or 35% pass rate. Compare that to what a doctor has to go through. I think their pass rates are like a lot higher, maybe like 80 to 90% versus <laughs> this test that we're trying to take. The SE exam, I mean, I've always heard it's a bear. I haven't taken it, but I've always heard it's a bear. But that just, again, goes to show you that these types of conferences really do have content and sessions for engineers at different experience levels. You can get a really good overview of the industry, different trends, regardless of the industry that you're in or the experience level that you're at. Matt, thanks a lot for taking some time to kind of reflect upon your notes and organize them for this episode and put them out there for people. I know that not all structural engineers probably could attend the conference and they might want to you know, learn a little bit about what was going on there. And also, hopefully, this episode will provide some inspiration for some of you out there to go to the conference in the future or other conferences in the future as well. So Matt, thanks a lot uh, for doing this, for reflecting and for, for sharing with everyone. Sure, no problem. I hope you enjoyed the episode for today, a little bit of a different format, but we always go to conferences and we take a lot of notes and I don't know how much they ever get utilized. So we thought it would be a good idea to grab Matt's notes, have him go through them and share them with those of you that might want to attend a conference like this in the future, or just kind of live off, I guess, Matt's experience there. Before we wrap this one up, I once again would like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, CSI. CSI produces five primary software packages, SAP 2000, CSI Bridge, eTabs, Safe, and Perform 3D. Each of these programs offers unique capabilities and tools that are tailored to different types of structures and problems, allowing users to find just the right solution for their work. SAP 2000 is intended for use on civil structures, such as dams, communication towers, and stadiums. CSI Bridge offers powerful parametric design of concrete and steel bridges. ETABS has been developed specifically for multi-story commercial and residential building structures, such as office towers, apartments, and hospitals. The SAFE system provides an efficient and powerful program for the analysis and design of concrete slabs and foundations with or without post-tensioning. Perform 3D is a highly focused nonlinear tool offering powerful performance-based design capabilities. With CSI products, you can be confident that you have the finest structural engineering software available, backed by a company with an unmatched record of innovation and an unrivaled commitment to meet the ever-evolving needs of the profession. You can learn more about them at www.csiamerica.com. As always, we would love to hear your feedback, comments, or questions on any of the episodes 
You can visit structuralengineeringchannel.com where you'll find all of the episodes. You'll find a summary of the key points in each episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned. Thanks again. We wish you the best in all of your structural engineering career endeavors. Thank you.